0: Screen Time
1: with John Fardy. This is News Talk.
2: Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show we take a look at the new movie Emily, all about Emily Bronte, starring the great Emma Mackey from Sex Education. I chat to her and its director, Frances O'Connor. Mark Royal reviews all the week's new releases and the one and only Henry McKean. Chats about his favourite movie I'm open on Twitter John underscore Fardy Or you can email me Screentime at Newstalk.com This show is available as a podcast Every Friday at 5pm On Newstalk.com Or the Newstalk app Powered by Go Loud And it's on the radio Every Saturday at 6pm Right here on Newstalk Good weekend to you all Hope you're doing well And life is treating you well uh, I've told you many times before I m- maintain to be Ireland's biggest Billy Joel fan uh, who's kind of become cool, if if you're not aware. He used to be seen as this, I don't know, poor man something, but now, you know, just by dint of having survived this long in the music business, he's cool. And he's playing in, Wem- not in Wembley, in Hyde Park next July. And I got tickets for it this week. The last time I went to a Billy Joel gig in Wembley, it was the most bizarre situation I've experienced in a long time. I was trying to get up the front. I got tickets from this let's say unorthodox source not illegal but unorthodox with someone I didn't know who was going to get me front row seats it ended up being the one of the strangest nights in my life this is going to be a much more serene and sedate affair hopefully that's just my way of telling you what kind of week I had I, anyway let me get to movies and TV and a movie I'm dying to talk to you about is this
0: I want to live in another world away from Hollywood I want to live in
3: Chekhov
4: (sighs) I want to move to New York
2: And
0: study acting Serious acting In the movies they chop you all to bits Cut, cut, cut It's a jigsaw
2: puzzle But you're not the one to put the pieces together Oh, but to live in a part just be in it till the closing curtain every night but mostly i i want to settle down like any girl and have a family now that was anna DiArmez playing Marilyn Monroe in the Netflix movie Blonde. Now, this was out last week. I'm afraid I didn't get to it. If you haven't heard, this is a movie that is causing lots of consternation. It is currently on Netflix. It launched last week to get a brief, very brief cinema release, which would lead us to believe that it is hoping to get some Oscar action. What you have is a, a movie that's based on the Joyce Carol Oates source material, which is a fictionalised version of Marilyn Monroe's life. And you have Anna Diarmes, as I mentioned, playing Marilyn Monroe. And it is fictionalised to the point of being almost at times unrecognisable, because some things happened to Marilyn Monroe that are in the movie, and some things didn't. So it is deeply problematic for lots of people. I had an email from Jackie Cooney, who's the owner of the Irish Marilyn Monroe Fan Club, and she's very... Uh, disappointing and indeed disapproving of the Marilyn Monroe movie because it gets a lot wrong. So what you have is Marilyn Monroe's life told from beginning, middle and end in almost fantastical ways. Uh, The camera moves in and out and jumps around a lot and the story jumps around a lot to her success but also her troubled life. And what lots of people are having a problem with is the fact that so much of it is highly fictionalized. So a large part of the movie, she is befriending Charlie Chaplin's son and uh, Edward G. Robinson's son, which she apparently barely knew, and yet she enters into kind of a threesome with these people. Whole aspects of her life are largely fictionalized. And there has been talk of abuse in Marilyn Monroe's life and the abuse that she suffers in this movie appears not to have happened at all in the way that it's shown. The movie's trying to make the point that Marilyn Monroe was possibly eaten by Hollywood and mistreated by Hollywood and made into an object. And the movie, which I should say is directed by Andrew Dominic, is guilty of also, I would say, turning Marilyn Monroe into an object and is almost making the same mistake that Hollywood made with her because it sometimes it does feel very exploitational. And there are certain scenes that you just feel are in there for, I don't know, titillation or to shock, and I'm not sure that they work. Now, they're the bad elements of the movie, and I suppose people like Jackie's point is that if you're coming to this movie looking to learn about Marilyn Monroe this is deeply problematic because you're not getting the story as much as we understand it to be this is they've taken too much of a liberty and I get that but the movie makers do claim that this is not fact what they're trying to do is give an imagined version of her life and so I think the movie works in a certain extent to that way because no matter what story you tell whether you're writing a biography of someone you're making a biopic Philosophically speaking, every biopic, every life story of one person will always be different depending on who's telling it because that's the nature of it. Every person comes to another person's life with their own set of questions, with their own prejudices. And it seems that the prejudice of the movie maker in this case was to show that Hollywood was a pretty rotten place to Marilyn Monroe. So I think he's trying, the director, to give a version of her life to make a point about how cruel Hollywood could be. I also think the way it looks and the way it's told has a lot of merit. Because it's not a standard biopic. It And most importantly, Anna de Armas is incredible as Marilyn Monroe. And at times, I wasn't sure if they were taking stills from the actual movies or it was actually her acting. So this is a problematic movie, no question. But it's a very interesting movie. Now... Is that enough? Is that why we sit down to watch, you know, cinema? Do we not want to be entertained? We do. But there's also a place for very interesting movies that give us pause to thought. And this certainly got me, you know, philosophising about the nature of storytelling. So I think that's pretty good. Now, it is nearly three hours, so it is far too long. So, caution advised, it is long. This is not an accurate retelling of Marilyn Monroe's life whatsoever. There are problems with the movie and as I say they over sensationalise things and put in sexual scenes that although I didn't find offensive just are completely unnecessary I would suggest but at the same time this is a very interesting movie that I'm saying it's worth a watch but please don't think you're getting an accurate picture of who Marilyn Monroe was because this is certainly not the place to look for that and my thanks to Jackie Cooney who did get in touch with me. That is on Netflix and it is available for your viewing if you have seen it do let me know John underscore is my Twitter handle or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com Now you're listening to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movies show. It's that time of the week when we turn to the week's new cinema releases. And this week we are looking at Amsterdam, starring Christian Bale, and also The Woman King, starring Viola Davis. And I'm joined by our regular critic, Mark
1: Royal. Mark, hello. Hi, John. How are you doing?
2: Good. Now, unfortunately, I was at the cinema twice this week, but not to see either of these movies. They were for other movies. So, Amsterdam, Christian Bale, uh, John David Washington, and Margot Robbie—great cast, great movie.
1: It's it, there's there's more. I mean, I could spend the next ten minutes talking about who's in this. It. I mean, yeah, I was I was very very pleasantly surprised. Um, I just had a quick look on um, social media, and I don't think this people don't like this. <laughs> but um, I, I thought was you never surprised. do
2: that. I thought you don't look at other reviews or social media.
1: Oh, I had a look on Twitter, and people were okay. giving out about it. Would you class that as? <laughs> <looking at it?
2: laughs> I mean, someone giving out about something on Twitter is like saying, you know, water is wet. But anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to try and explain what is going on here. Um, I don't know how I'm going to manage it, but I'll, I'll try it to the best of my ability. Um, it's set in New York um, in 1933, also 1918 during World War One. Christian Bale and John David Washington, they're two World War One veterans, and Margot Robbie then is a nurse they meet while in France, who turns out to be an artist, and then she turns out to be a spy. Um, following the war, the three enjoy a sort of a Butch and Sundance period of happiness in Amsterdam, where the title of the movie comes from. Um, and then Bale returns to his life in New York and Robbie disappears. Uh, he goes back and um, he becomes a doctor and he treats fellow veterans with prosthetics and homemade painkillers. And then um, Washington is also a law- lawyer. I'm only halfway through the synopsis, so bear with me. <laughs> um then the, one day their old army general turns up dead and the general's daughter uh, suspecting foul play asks bail to carry out an autopsy um she is then murdered and the two of them uh, they become prime suspects um, and then in the course of trying to clear their names they become involved in a fascist conspiracy to topple the us government that also involves bird watching and the rise of the nazi party in germany so some something for everyone
2: wow that is convoluted. It also involves an assassination plot, right?
1: It involves pretty much everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot. It does sound very far-fetched and it they, it opens with the disclaimer, um, a lot of this really happened, which I think is, it's it's almost the exact same way that Russell's American Hustle. The, the same disclaimer at the front of that as well um and it, i i when this started i thought it's going to be another one of his um scorsese tribute acts like american hustle um but it's it, to be honest it's more of a it's it's lighter than that it's more of a screwball caper it what it most reminded me of was um the cohen brothers and their their frank capra movie the Hoodsucker proxy with okay. with elements of wes anderson
2: Oh, wow. Now you're talking my language. Look, David O. Russell, you know, if for nothing else, The Fighter alone is one of the greatest, if not the greatest boxing movie ever made. Even better than Rocky, if that's not heresy to say it. Maybe that's stretching it, but it's certainly up there. Silver (laughs) Linings Playbook. Like he's, He's a great director who can tell an unusual story. So such an unusual story as this, it's in good hands then.
1: I, I, you know, I, I think I find him hit and hit and miss. I really like some of his stuff. Other, other, other. Uh, I don't. I never liked the Silver Linings Playbook. I just find really thought it was very um, ill advised. And wow. um, yeah, it it didn't sit well with me at all. Um, yeah, no, I do like. I I really enjoyed American Hustle. I think that the, the fighter is a great movie. Um, you know, going all the way like Three Kings is. He's done some really good stuff mm-hmm. and. But like then, what was it? I Heart Huckabee's. Yeah, it's that's dr-
2: terrible. That's terrible. But anyway, back to Amsterdam.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's this one. It's it's really really enjoyable, but it's very very slight. It's like um, I or describe it as like you know one of those weird Heston Blumenthal foams that that tastes like Christmas dinner on the tongue, but then is d- disappears immediately. It's 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 hugely enjoyable viewing experience, but it doesn't stay with you. That's what I'll say about it. It's nice going down. Um, but it di- disappears from memory almost as soon as you've eaten it. And if wow. I knew more about cooking, I would probably be able to come up with a, a better analogy than the, the Heston Blumenthal uh, Christmas dinner foam one.
2: That's not bad as food analogies go, you know. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't lock yourself short, like you know,
1: yeah. It's got they're, they're like the, the cast is enormous. It's yeah, it's, besides the ones I've already talked about Michael Shannon, Mike Myers, Anya Taylor Joy, Rami Malik, Zoe Saldana, Chris Rock, Taylor Swift. And Robert De Niro.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So presumably with so many casts, like a lot of them have small roles.
1: Uh, Do you know what the thing is? It's not an easy feat pulling off an ensemble piece like this one. And, you know, the road is is scattered with the carcasses of similar ensembles that haven't worked. Um, Keeping all those balls in the air at the same time. It's not easy, but somehow he does manage it. And nobody really gets shortchanged and none of the characters feel uh, superfluous. And it's It's very funny. It it zips along at a feral pace and overall it is a really enjoyable movie. Um, I will say, I think the last act is a real drag. It it kind of just drags to a halt and it it also kind of turns into this, uh, it gets very, very daft and the climax becomes this sort of Scooby-Doo. It was old man Smithers, the caretaker all along territory, you know?
2: (laughs) Okay. And screwball comedy, right? Did you laugh a lot?
1: I did. And a lot of that came from, um, Bale is really funny. Uh, Mm. Christian Bale. I think he does have a tendency to take himself very, very seriously. Yes. And if you boil it down to it, his job is essentially pretending for a living. Um, but he takes his craft extremely, uh, you know, seriously. Um, he's very, very funny and he's not, he's not, he's not doing that here. Okay. Um, uh, I think often it, the, the the script doesn't back up quite. Uh, what all, what happens a lot in this is through his performance alone, he gets a laugh that might not have necessarily been written in the script.
2: Mm, okay, very good. What would you say, Stars Wise for Amsterdam?
1: Um, I'm going to give it a four now. I think it, it's it's as I said, it's a really enjoyable experience. But I might watch this a second time and completely change my mind. But okay. For the time being, I'm giving it a four.
2: I get what you say. Okay, well, that's pretty good. Let's take a clip of Amsterdam. And didn't ask how you were doing.
4: My man left. This kind of thing happens every day. Oh sorry. It's fine. True love is based on choice, not need. Do you need your wife? Or do you choose your wife?
0: Well, can it be both?
4: The second one is the one that truly matters. At the end of the day, it is. Choice matters over need.
1: I don't like to be alone. <sighs>
4: that sounds
2: like need. That's a clip there from Amsterdam, which Mark Royal gave four stars to, which is in cinemas from this Friday, the, four, the 7th of October, I should say. Now, Mark, the other movie you watched this week stars Viola Davis, The Woman King.
1: Mm. Yeah, um, this is it's set in 1823 in West Africa when the, um, the slave trade was, was still very much a thriving industry. And the woman king, it's primarily about the Agoji, who were an all female army of ferocious warriors who protected the king and the kingdom of Dahomey um, from rival tribes like the Oyo and also European slaves, slave traders. Now, Viola Davis plays the Egoji's leader, Naniska, and as the movie opens, the Agoji have suffered heavy losses after a battle with a rival tribe. And Naniska has to train up a bunch of new recruits to protect the kingdom from potential threats, both domestic and foreign.
2: Okay. Yeah. And uh, Viola Davis is in it, obviously. It was directed by Gina... Prince uh, Whitewood a previous guest on this show whose movie love and basketball is possibly in one of my top 10 movies of all time how did you find this she one?
1: she was on was probably for the old guard was it
2: yes exactly which is yeah, a yeah. less successful movie but it had yeah, its yeah, merits yeah. as well it's- uh, it's-
1: it's a remarkable movie, this one, and there's 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 a lot to admire here. Um, it, it boasts a number of really standout performances, and of course Viola Davis stands head and shoulders above all the other standout performance. But um, what is truly remarkable is that we have got here an, a historical epic with one foot in historical accuracy, and it's also a big-budget kids' adventure movie with a predominantly all-female and all-black cast. And... Obviously, it has to be said at the outset that the the massive success of Black Panther must have helped greatly in getting this from the development stage to the big screen. And it is probably doubtful that it would exist at all if it wasn't for Black Panther. But That,
2: that notwithstanding, though, it takes nothing away from the magic that's happening here by the sounds of things.
1: It's it's a remarkable piece of work and it's even more remarkable considering that this is an action movie where the lead actor is a, a 57-year-old woman mm-hmm. and and she is amazing in, in the role.
2: Great. Now, you don't read reviews. I have been reading reviews of this and it is going gangbusters from critics. So yeah. you share that approbation.
1: Right. I do, I do. Um, I think... Um, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable. It's uh, as we we were talking about Gina Prince-Bythewood and the, the, the old guard that the the movie, the Netflix, what she did with uh, Charlize Theron, Mm -hmm. the best part of that movie for me was the, was the action. And she handles the action really, really well here too. And it opens with a, a really impressive set piece. And then you know, towards the end, there's another couple. Um, but the, the the it's a shame that the middle of the movie kind of drags a bit because it, the action just disappears, and there's a lot of um, you know dialogue. Um, and I think for a kids' movie, I think I think it risk runs the risk of, of boring the audience for the middle act. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, it's there's some incredible apart from Viola Davis, uh, Lashana Lynch who you probably might remember from the last bond movie um she was in uh she was in that she's she's just she's really really good in this and um there's a there's like there's a number of of, of really um i can't there's a, you can't fault any uh, any other the performances in this even even um uh daniel uh john boyega plays the young king Okay, um, he's inexperienced. Um, it, it kind of, and it also for kids away. It doesn't shy away from some of the more unsavory aspects of the period, um, yeah. because the, the the kingdom that the, the, these these warriors are protecting, it's a very prosperous one. And it, it, but part of that prosperity has been built on the slave trade. Mm-hmm. And the young king that John Boyega is playing, he's new to the role, and he he, he wants to move away from trading slaves and in, to move into other commodities. But he's still complicit in it, and. You know, Viola Davis describes that as a black circle without an end. I I think that's pretty ballsy for a kid's movie, you know? Yeah,
2: I was going to say, a a movie that tackles those subjects is historically accurate and is a kid's movie. That sounds incredibly impressive, to be honest. It's
1: it's attempting a lot, and I think for the most part it works.
2: It pulls it off. Okay, so what are you going to say stars-wise for The Woman King?
1: I'm going to give it three and a half.
2: Oh, I thought you were going to give it a four.
1: No, three and a half. It kind of, it, it, it drags a bit in the middle.
2: Okay, the middle act. That's a shame. I really want to see that. I think even more than Amsterdam, I really want to see that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, good. Well, I'm glad you concur with me wanting to see it. So that's three and a half for the Woman King, four for Amsterdam. A pretty good week from the Mark Royal School of Things. I think his favourite season is the autumn, so that's why he's throwing out these fours and three and a halves for the last couple of weeks. You know, he's in bloom, folks.
1: It is a good week, yeah. I mean, I don't make them, I just review them.
2: you can't really take any credit for them being good
1: I just work with what I'm given well
2: you don't make those movies but you make this show thank you Mark thanks John up next star of sex education Emma Mackey on her new movie Emily all about the writing of Wuthering Heights and Emily Bronte now you're welcome back to Screen Time I'm John Fardy this is News Talks TV and movie show now take a listen to this.
1: Do any of you actually speak English?
2: <laughs> I do.
3: I mean, this is Emily, Anne, and Charlotte. I'm Charlotte.
1: God bless you all.
3: Your sermon was very.
1: Oh, uh, was, was it too much? I uh, <laughs> actually. Oh, well, I thought halfway through. I uh, planned to be a lot more eloquent, but um, when you get up there, it just.
2: Nature
3: is always an inspiration. Yes, nature was wonderful. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Thank you. Though, Job is very dramatic. I nearly went for Job.
3: The rain was a good choice. Thank you. I do wonder, though, how does God squeeze himself into all that rain? Wouldn't he get wet?
2: Yes, now that is a clip from Emily which is a new movie which is opening next week in cinemas, that's the 14th of October, and it tells the story of the Bronte sisters, and in particular, Emily Bronte, who you heard there, played by Emma Mackey. And it's all about her life with her sisters, uh, Charlotte and Anne Bronte, and of course her brother, who also features in the movie, is in there. And Emily is played by the brilliant Emma Mackey, who's Maeve in Sex Education, which a lot of people know her as. She's a wonderful actress. This is a great movie. I really enjoyed this. It wasn't what I was expecting. I hadn't given it much thought. I went on a rainy Wednesday morning. And it's a gothic romance. It's Emma Mackey playing Emily as this outsider, which she appears to have been. And it's her, I guess, leading up to Wuthering Heights what made her want to tell that story and it's kind of a muse on that and it's a love story on it but there's lots of gothic elements in it and there's lots of sibling rivalry between her sisters and her brother and also her father played brilliantly by Adrian Dunbar as being this controlling present who ultimately adores his daughters but doesn't quite know what to do with this somewhat socially isolated Emily it is directed by Frances O'Connor. It's her directorial debut. Frances O'Connor is an Australian English actress who's been working since Mansfield Park opposite Hugh Bonneville. She's been in all sorts of things, including the importance of being earnest. She was in Artificial Intelligence with Steven Spielberg. She's been around a long time. So she is getting to her directorial debut well into her career. So I got to talk to Frances O'Connor, the director, and the star, Emma Mackey, of Emily earlier in the week. Oh, and I should mention, I think they're using a quote of mine in association with the movie, what I thought about it. So I began by telling Francis. And I actually described it as a very good gothic romance, and I think they're putting it on the poster. So hopefully you're pleased to hear that. Oh,
4: fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good description.
2: (laughs) So, Francis, can I start with you just on that? Like, I read this or I read Wuthering Heights in school, which wasn't yesterday, I can assure you. But I do Hmm. remember the really gothic nature of it and being described it to by a teacher and it lasted long with me. And what I loved about the movie is it's really gothic in places. Like there's this scene where they're doing you know, playing with people from the dead or something like that and windows burst open, not to give any spoilers, but the whole tone of it throughout feels very Bronte-esque and gothic. Were you? It seems to me you were really keen to get the style and the vibe of that right.
4: Yeah, there was kind of two elements is kind of very documented, you know, with a handheld camera, kind of feeling like you were really there, you know, that we also kind of worked on the soundscape, kind of creating that 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 sense of reality of being with the characters and then also this atmosphere of things being slightly a supernatural kind of Mm -hmm. atmosphere uh that kind of comes into the story which that's connected to uh, emily's creativity really and to the feminine really um Mm. but yeah um and you know in, in the way that wuthering heights is kind of has this feeling of of things that are gothic, but also gritty and real. And uh, so I, I, want, I did want to include that element, I think.
2: And Emma, actually, it's funny, you, you inhabited the character very well because I keep going to call you Emily, so I have to be yeah, really careful not to do that. Well,
3: brilliant. That's okay. yeah. You can call me M, then it's So that's that, <laughs> I find both ways.
2: M, yeah. Okay, M, like something out of James Bond. But I was wondering, were you know, I'm mixing up my movies here. But were you were you a big fan of Wuthering Heights, or had you an awareness of it, or because you know you're you're younger than me and Francis.
3: Yeah, I well like yeah, just just bit. by a little bit. <laughs> tiny bit. Um no I had Wed I had wed- <laughs> I had read Wuthering Heights um back in the day and then I revisited it, um, obviously closer to filming and um it is fascinating and it's actually I was saying earlier, it's kind of it's almost harder to read um as an adult and I don't know if that's I don't know if that's just me <laughs> being strange, but I thought I was I think I was analysing it far too much and uh, and actually when I Sort of just experienced the book again and it tapped into my sort of I don't know if it, I don't know if it's inner child is the right word but it just had it it just has to be yeah experienced and I think the film um, mirrors that in in a way um, because of because of the supernatural elements because of the the landscape because of the sound because of the way it's shot it's very immersive and and they these you know these people these figures of history become suddenly much more tangible and uh, and almost just out of reach. So it was just really nice to play on that, on those boundaries, if that makes sense.
2: And Francis, you know, Emma does such a great job in it, as we've Mm. been saying, and she plays... Emily in in lots of shade and dark, but certainly as the movie begins, she's very isolated and seems to struggle socially or certainly in the Mm. social place she finds herself. And like how accurate or is that important to you or not? Was Emily Bronte herself in social situations or do we even know?
4: We do know. Yeah. I mean, from the research that we have and things that people said about her, that she was kind of socially awkward and she she you know, she would kind of hide in her bedroom when people came up. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, and she she got sick when she left home. You know, um, Charlotte famously said to Patrick, if I don't bring my sister home from the school, she's going to die. Like, she really yeah. couldn't handle being in the company of a lot of people she didn't know very well. But she was very comfortable within her family and on the moors mm-hmm. and, and in her imagination. So, and I think that's something that really speaks to us Today, I mean, I, sometimes I feel socially awkward, and I think a lot of, you know, people yeah, do. Yeah, people do. Yeah, and that's, so mm. it's kind of nice to present this character with this modern psychology, really, in mm. um, you know, in a way that's relatable.
2: Yeah, it's funny you say that, because it's almost like, you know, the idea of someone being socially awkward seems very modern and contemporary, but yet people have always been socially awkward. I guess we have just haven't named it until
4: recently. Mm. Yeah, exactly. They will just say, oh, she's a bit shy, or... Um, and I yeah. think, yeah, so I just thought that was an intriguing kind of aspect to Emily and mm-hmm. I thought it, it would be a great kind of starting point for this character. Yeah. You know.
2: Emma, in terms of the shoot, I gather it was quite, it was in the eyes of this dreaded virus. We don't even want to mention the name <laughs> of it anymore, but I, I, I imagine you became kind of a tight knit working family on the, on the, mm. on the Moors and that place where you filmed it. What was the shooting experience like?
3: It was great. We we yeah we had rehearsals before um, we started shooting, which was such a luxury and doesn't really happen usually on film film shoots. So it was it was great. We had two weeks of rehearsals and workshopping scenes and script and and doing movement and voice classes and all these things. And we lived together. You know, the cast and I lived in a house together, and you know, made had had dinner by the fire in the evening and played games. And so we had that real, yeah. Um, What's the, what's the word? Like camaraderie? It, yeah, or? camaraderie. And it was just really nice to have that and to live in that world. And, and um, so when we got to actually shooting the film, we were sort of, we were ready. <laughs> we were really excited to, and yeah. we felt safe and comfortable and, and we could just play really. It was such a joy. Um, yeah, it was nice. Yeah. We did well.
2: Playing, yeah. playing board games. By yeah. the fire. It yeah. sounds very Bronte, Bronte-esque.
3: It was very Bronte, you know? I know. We, did, we played chess. <laughs> Me and Amelia played chess by the fire and it was really it was really quite Bronte. I don't think we intended to, but that's what happened. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: Frances, it, it's straight, well, not strange, but in the last month alone, I mm-hmm. have spoken to two other female actresses who are now... Serious directors, uh, Helena Wren, a Dutch lady who did this great movie called Bodies, 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 and last week on oh, the show, yeah. a Northern Irish actress called uh, Antonia Campbell Hughes, who's been oh, in yeah. all sorts of movies and now has a first director feature. And here you are, the third one in, in four <laughs> weeks. Now, this should be unremarkable in a way, because if I was talking to an, <laughs> exactly. an
4: actor. exactly.
2: No, I know. But we have to stop yeah, it. Yeah.
4: We must put, we a, must stop put it. a stop to <laughs> this <it>. nonsense. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Exactly. No, no, I'm joking. (laughs) But but, but that's the whole point. Like, if it was a man that if if you were the third man in a row that like happened to be now directing, Mm. having been an actor, it would be unremarkable. Yet here I am remarking about it. So shame on me in a way. But what (laughs) I'm trying to laboriously say yeah, is 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 just the time better? Because much the same way there was social awkwardness two hundred years ago, I presume female actresses wanted to act or sorry wanted to direct a long time ago. But is it just that the time is right
4: now, or it's easier to do it, or it is unremarkable? I mean, I think I mean back in the time, people freaked out if a woman wrote a book. So I feel like <laughs> I you know. know, imagine you know, yeah. like and a you know a novel like Wuthering Heights from a woman was just like people freaked out when that book came out. But um, in terms of now, I feel like it's just kind of... I feel I feel like the world moves like towards the feminine or the masculine, and at the moment it's kind of swinging a little bit towards the feminine. And I don't mean just like women, just mm-hmm. like a more feminine sensibility. Mm. So I think sure. it's, it's lovely that women are getting to uh, tell these stories on screen because I really believe that f- movies are like one of the most powerful mediums we have. Mm. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a very powerful way of telling a story. So the fact that women... I kind of more increasingly get to kind of play in that with that um, platform is great. Mm. Yeah, here, Exciting here, time. here, yeah. here.
2: And finally, Emma. I suppose most people talk to you about this great TV show, oh. Sex Education, on Netflix. I haven't but heard of But I realise it's great. You've got <laughs> to say it. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm 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 going to bypass that because I realised oh, yeah. the most recent thing that I saw you in was a great and again a very dark Irish movie called The Winter Lake. I interviewed oh. the director last year, I think it was. Yeah, yes. and you were you were great in that. And it's that Thank that you. movie's a dark trip, but a great one. But did you have to decamp to like Monaghan or cold wintry Cavan <laughs> and for six weeks to do I that? I
3: did. Yeah, I did. Um, I, it was. <laughs> I, I lived in Manor Hamilton to be precise. Yes, um, for 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 under six weeks, I think. Yeah, it was just six weeks, but it was, yeah, been very different, but but a similar kind of attraction to the gothic and to the dark and to the you know mm. the secret elements that you know in family dramas and how to uncover all these. You know, these, these uh, these you know, family traumas and, and history and, and religion and, and mm-hmm. you know, repression and all these things that actually are, you know, quite, quite a few thematics. And, and like, as I'm saying them, like, oh, my God. <laughs> you describe this movie? Yeah, repression and religion and all, you know, it's, yeah, I just, I, I also have a fascination for the Gothic, I guess. So <laughs> here we are. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Indeed. Well, you know, Tolstoy says every uh, family is tragic in its own unique way. So, be it sex education, the Winter Lake, or indeed Emily, you know, mm. you're, you're staying true to PATH, So that's good. You know? <laughs> anyway, I can't believe I quoted Tolstoy in an I know Well done. Yeah. He's yeah. Lots very of that impressed. Very nice. No, you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. There'll be people <laughs> texting in now saying, get that guy off the radio. But listen, I better go. The film is fantastic. I described it. It is a very good Gothic romance. So, Francis and Emma, lovely to chat to you. Thanks.
4: Thank you so much for having us. Thank Thanks, you John.
2: Francis O'Connor, the director, and Emma Mackey of Sex Education and The Winter Lake talking to me about the brilliant new movie, Emily, which is all about Emily Bronte and the writing of Wuthering Heights and her sibling relations. And it is on in cinemas next Friday the 14th of October and it is well, well worth a watch. Up next, the one and only Henry McKean on his favourite film. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talk's TV and movie show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. You know you've arrived in media when you are known simply by one name. My next guest is a colleague, someone I used to produce. We used to be lovers. Well, no, not quite. Uh, Henry McKean recently celebrated 20 years in News Talk and he's kindly agreed. A roving reporter on the station since day one, I would say, has kindly agreed to chat about his favourite movie. Henry, how are you?
0: John, I can't believe it's 20 years and all I can say is I'm fresh and new. I actually don't have a second name. I'm just a first name. That's it. I know. It's impressive. It's impressive. Just one name. Um, It's wonderful. I can't believe I just compare myself to such a genius. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, uh, it it flew by. It absolutely flew by. Let's get
2: to that. You're here to talk about your favourite film,
0: which is? Yeah, this is a really, really tough one. But then again, a really easy one because it just, you know, when you said, look, would you come on? It just came straight into my head. And my favourite film is... Back to the Future Oh,
2: it's a wonderful choice it's been chosen over the four years I've been doing this show I think twice oh but that's I'm sorry not at all go ET, with your gut I mean E.T. was fantastic as well go with your well. gut no no I loved Back to the Future do me two things tell mm. me why you love it and quickly remind people what it's about in broad terms
0: yeah so I love it because of the escapism and how do I describe it it's a 17 year old boy mm. who, who's basically friendly with a mad scientist <laughs> uh, and they go back in time yeah uh, and everything goes wrong yeah. uh, and it was just such a, an original idea uh, and I suppose I love it uh, because it blew my mind. It mm. totally blew my mind. 1986, I was living in Scotland. Obviously, the film came out in 85 mm. but we were late to getting films yes. back then. You didn't get them straight away. There might have been a six-month delay to get the film and then sure. it might have stayed in the cinema if it was a hit for another so six months. So what age months. were you? I was eight years of okay. age. I was eight and I was on a summer camp school trip so I was part of a summer camp and we didn't go to the cinema very often as kids and we were brought to go to see this movie. I had no idea idea what the film was and my mind was blown and it was in greenock in Scotland so outside Glasgow uh, and I still love it to this day
2: so you remember seeing it as an eight-year-old boy and it's Eight stayed with boy. you ever since. Yes. Michael J. Fox, mm. right? Just he, yes. he clearly wasn't 17, but you may know this, and I don't want to go all movie buff you because mm. we said we're not going to do that, but Eric Stoltz but was originally a, cast. A movie buff. Hey, if the cap fits. <laughs> and they kicked him out because it wasn't working. Michael J. Fox yes. is
0: immense, isn't mm. he? He's the perfect kid. He, he's brilliant. And, and you're right. I mean, they actually filmed, for, I think six weeks That's they crazy. filmed for. Yeah. And then they met up, the producers met up with, Spielberg, who was one of the producers, and they were like, You know what? With Eric Stoltz, it's just, it's not working. Mm. There's no chemistry. Yeah. He's too serious. Yeah. Where's the comedy? Uh, And then Michael J. Fox, originally, he was the guy they wanted, but he was stuck doing Growing Pains, if I got the name of the show right. I think Family Ties. Family Ties? Is Growing Pains even a show? It was. He wasn't in it, but that doesn't (laughs) matter. Let's keep rolling. Family Ties. And this is the thing I'm not uh, a movie That's not why you're here, though. (laughs) But uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. and it, it was um, just absolutely wonderful, and the fact that, poor old Michael J. Fox. Uh, he was signed up uh, to do two, the TV show as well as this film. Mm. He was doing 18-hour days. Yeah. Long, long days. And a lot of it's shot at night because of that. <laughs> and the poor actors had to start again. They were all brought in um, uh, for meetings and they yeah. were told, you know, they actually thought, oh, perhaps we're going to lose our job. I know Biff Thomas uh, F. Wilson was worried he's going to lose his <laughs> job. Um, but it turned out, no, they were very happy with him. He plays a great bully. Yeah. And this is what the film is about. It's about Bullying, coming of age, um, yeah. you know, the little man, remember uh, Michael J. Fox, only five foot five, yeah. a little guy, and taking on the world, uh, and going back in time, and you know, and it was such an original story, completely and utterly original. I hadn't seen anything like it before.
2: Let me ask you this. The next two movies, Back to the Future 2 and Back to the Future 3, are you a fan of those? Well, that's
0: a really, really good point. Growing up, I didn't like them. Okay. So when in 1989, when Back to the Future 2 came out, mm-hmm. and then in 1993, didn't like them. But then in recent years, I've gone back to them, I like them now. Yeah. I think they're great. Yeah. But, but at the time, they weren't as good as the first one, because the first one was so amazing. I think extra four million, because they change actors, 18 Million it cost and it made mm. over four hundred million dollars. It was such a hit, and then the second one is so similar to the first one, yeah. but it's aged incredibly well. And so is the third. I just think it's just a love letter to old-fashioned popcorn movies, yeah. And sheer roller coaster video game yeah. escapism, and yeah. you've got. You know, Pepsi, I have to say, I'm not a Pepsi fan. I actually drink Coke. Uh, You had skateboarding. (laughs) Just in case you're listening. It it made skateboarding hugely uh, popular. Uh, And even, I didn't even realize it. I think I actually... Dress like Marty McFly, because I'm wearing. Uh, you know, I'm wearing braces. I know it's radio, but I'm wearing braces. Um, I'm wearing runners. I'm wearing jeans. Yeah, there was a I certain Marty McFly. A gilet, which is basically a puffer <laughs> jacket with no, um, uh, no. Sleeves. Say gilet again. Listen, you have your own child mm-hmm. now. Have you shown it to him? I actually wanted to show it to him just last night and it was wow. on Netflix up until recently. Yeah. And then I searched for it ah. and it turns out uh, you've got to pay for it now. You've got okay. to pay on, on I think um, you can buy it on various streaming services and I do have it on DVD but my wife disconnected the DV, DVD <laughs> player and said, you're not going to need that anymore. I said, I am. There's going to be a day like as of yeah. last night when I wanted to actually watch it again. But you know, there's so many great moments in a great Scott, you know, um, and Dark <laughs> From Doc, Doc and, Brown, yeah how great was how great was Christopher Lloyd just how brilliant I mean brilliantly cast just such a perfect mad scientist yeah. and I actually I can see why Michael J. Fox because you know if you look at it now this movie would never be made a 17 year old man hanging out with an old man and there were loads of kind of themes in it that would not, not be made the yeah. bullying there's there's a you know a, a, almost a near, near assault in a car uh, in the second one so there's loads of adult themes but it's a PG and there's even SH1T is mentioned in it. quite a lot of language so but you have I haven't shown it to the youngest lad. I want yet. to. Yeah. I think I could fast forward the really kind yeah. of. Yeah, what age is he now again? He's four. Oh, okay. Sorry. So, no. Maybe, but, maybe a bit earlier. Yes. Yeah. I, and I think it has aged to the new generation because they want, you know, these kind of comic book films that are just bang, 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 bang. And this film is bang, 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 bang. There isn't a moment in it that doesn't stop. You know, the fact that there's uranium, uh, there's there's bazookas, um, there's <laughs> there's fast cars. Uh, there, there's just you love a, a good bit. bazooka. There's a DeLorean. There's there's well, everything.
2: listen. Your passion for that movie is relentless. I can hear it. So thank you for doing that. We don't have huge time in this slot. I mentioned at the start we were almost lovers that was an in-joke between me and you I was making reference to the Michael Bowton song how can we be lovers if you can't be friends I that's, a, that's an in-joke well this is what ponytail, I was though. about to get to you yeah. have we interview stars occasionally on this so, but in the 20 years you've been in Talk, you have interviewed some serious heavy hitters not least of all Al Pacino in a red carpet one night but give me a quick I don't know top three if you would are there any people you met I don't know that last with you a lot or you were surprised by
0: wow i mean going back on it now you're right i have met lots of well-known people some famous some not so famous but I suppose danny devito stood out right um, because danny devito was tiny little yeah. miniature man but with a huge smile and he was so giving and so lovely okay val kilmer uh, i met val kilmer once wow. and val was um because also- he's a complicated fellow he was warm he actually came over and, and did, okay. did the interview and spoke to me Mel Gibson was a little bit difficult uh, over the years uh, when I met okay. him and uh, Marky Mark uh, uh, and the Funky Bunch uh, is it, it is Marky Mark isn't yeah. it Mark, is Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg Mark Warburg, thank you for reminding me of his full name I've met him a few times now oh. and I have to be diplomatic here I didn't warm to him he didn't warm to me Just yeah. there was no spark there I hate to say it he was a difficult man he might come across well but the the star that really uh, who I absolutely loved was probably uh, Will Ferrell. Um, I actually said to him and I probably shouldn't have. That I wanted to be his friend, um, because he was such a nice guy yeah. in real life. And I know you've met loads of people too. Steve no, Carell was also lovely. But um, just
2: on the Will Ferrell thing, I did him on hmm. Zoom. But yes. again, I overshared with him because yes. he was such a nice guy. I told him my so own warm.
0: son's name is Will.
2: Wow. And I could see him thinking, "Why are you telling
0: me this?" So, but, so did you call him uh, after Will Ferrell, or, or just a coincidence, or a relative?
2: No, no. It was. It was. I won't get into why. But I brought it up with Will for whatever the reasons. And tell me this then. Uh, but I. I do remember with Al Pacino didn't he
0: say to you on the red carpet, maybe take that microphone out of my face? oh you've a good memory I think he did and also a little small guy with a booming voice Uh, just an unbelievable and kind of crazy spiky hair and electricity when he walked into the room like if he walked into the studio Mm. right now you would know he was here also because the studio is quite small the sheer presence ladies
2: and gentlemen he's so famous at this stage and met so many famous people. he can't even remember interviewing Al Pacino he is known by one name only Henry you can hear him (laughs) him the length and breadth of this station all the time his favourite movie is Back to the Future Henry Rukeyne, thank you very much.
0: John, thank you for having me.
1: Six, God, you five, gotta help me. You were the only one who knows how your time machine works. Time machine? I haven't invented any time machine.
2: Okay, all right. I'll prove it to you.
1: Look at my driver's license. It expires 1987. Look at my birthday for crying out loud. I, I haven't even been born yet. And look at this picture. It's my brother, my sister, and me. Look at her sweatshirt, Doc class of 1984 pretty mediocre photographic fakery they cut off your mother's hair i'm telling
0: the truth doc you gotta believe me then tell me future boy who's president of the united states in 1985 ronald reagan ronald reagan the actor then who's vice president
2: jerry lewis a clip there from back to the future as chosen by the inimitable Henry McKean as his favorite movie. And my thanks to my old mucker, Henry. That is it for this week. Thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show. If you want to get in touch with me at any stage during the week, you can email me, at newstalk.com or you can tweet me, John underscore Fardy. Remind you that this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And of course, it's on the radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. Next week on the show, I'm talking to the director, Paul Figg. Yes, the man who directed Bridesmaids and gave us... Freaks and Geeks, uh, a great guy, on his new movie, the Netflix, The School of Good and Evil. That's all to come next week. Thank you for listening. Have a safe week ahead, and I'll talk to you all next week.